The scripture reading for this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Please stand for the reading of God's word. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why don't we go ahead and pray first. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, and as we come under your word, Lord, we pray that you would be teaching us, that your spirit would be at work within us. And uh, Lord, as we do so, we pray that you would bring conviction of sin, grant us that great gift of repentance. But Lord, for those who, who know you as their Savior, we pray that we would do all this in the knowledge, the certain knowledge, that you are our salvation and we can rest in you. Lord, for those who don't yet know you, who have not yet turned to you for their salvation, Lord, I pray that this promise, that you are the salvation of all who turn to you, would indeed warm their heart this morning. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and I want to read that again for us real quick. Galatians 5, 1 to 6 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And when we looked at that passage, we saw that our freedom in Christ, the freedom that we have now, has a vertical dimension. We looked at the vertical dimension of our freedom there in that passage. Because of the cross, because of what Jesus did at the cross, we are freed from something and we are freed for something. We are freed from condemnation. We are justified before God through faith in Christ. Jesus took what every one of us deserves. And all who look to him in faith receive what only he deserves. Right relationship with God, forgiveness of sin, no condemnation. Not because of anything in us, but entirely because of his grace. So we're, we're freed from condemnation, but we're also freed for something. And in that vertical dimension, it pointed to this freedom that we have to rest in Christ, to rest in his finished work, to allow what he has done to be of advantage to us before God, that our standing would be based upon his work and not our own, and then to watch eagerly for his return, to be living a life that is looking to that day, to the return of Jesus Christ. So that's the vertical dimension of our freedom that we saw in verses 1 through 6. And to turn away from that, to turn to any effort to justify yourself before God is to return again to slavery. 
This week, we're looking at the horizontal dimension of our freedom. As with the vertical dimension, so too with the horizontal. Because of the cross, we are freed from something and we're freed for something. We're freed from the power of sin. What Paul refers to in this passage as the flesh, our sin nature. And we're freed for a life of loving service, sacrificial service to one another. Paul has been warning against legalism throughout this entire letter to the church in Galatia. In fact, you may get the impression, if you have, you've not understood the text, but you may get the impression that Paul is saying the law of God is in somehow, some way bad. That's not what he's been saying. I want to encourage you to to go back and reread and consider that perhaps you've misunderstood what Paul's been saying. Paul has been saying that if you take a law approach to justifying yourself before God, you will fail. But the law itself is not bad. But in all that he's been saying about the law and the dangers of legalism, you may wonder, and I know some of you have been wondering this because you've been asking me, does that mean that we're free to live however we want? You know, if a law-based approach to a relationship with God, if, if legalism is such a danger in the Christian life, then does that mean that we can just do whatever we want? After all, we have this great relationship with God. We love sinning. He loves forgiving sin. What could be wrong? Paul anticipated that argument as well, and, and he addresses it here in our passage that we're looking at this morning. What he's telling us is that the alternative to legalism is not license. It's not being able to do however, you know, whatever you please. That would be to, you know, avoid falling off one side of the gospel horse into legalism by deliberately falling off the other side of the gospel horse into license. The alternative to legalism and license is love. It's love, and specifically in this passage, our love for one another. Now, we are all more legalistic and licentious than we care to admit. We've been hammering legalism because Paul's hammering legalism throughout the first part of Galatians. He's going to start to hammer licentiousness beginning here and also into next week. Let me just ask you this. You may think, well, I'm not all that licentious a person, but let me ask you this. How frequently do you deliberately sin knowing that you'll ask forgiveness afterwards? In bringing in the element of love here, and specifically our love for one, another's, for one another, Paul exposes what lies at the heart of both our legalism and our licentiousness, and that is our sinful flesh. The sinful flesh, yours and mine, is all about self-fulfillment, about self-actualization, about self-gratification, about self-exaltation. All the selves are what our sinful flesh pursues, and all those are at the root of both legalism and licentiousness, but not love. At the root of love is not self-fulfillment, but self sacrifice. And that's what the cross frees us for, a life of loving, sacrificial service to one another. So there's three things we're going to consider from this passage this morning. First, what we're freed from. Three very simple points so that we can hopefully wrestle with the meat of what Paul's saying here. First, what we're freed from. Second, what we're freed 
for. And then third, what we're freed by. So what we're freed from, what we're freed for, and what we're freed by. First, what we're freed from. And as I said already, we are freed from the power of sin. Take a look at verse 13 again with me. Paul says this, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh throughout his letters, he is referring to our sinful human nature most of the time. He uses that word for flesh in that sense, to refer to our sin nature, not our our human bodies. Two different Greek words, most frequently used. You need to know by context. But Paul's talking about our sin nature. On the one hand, our sin nature is dead. It's been crucified. Take a look with me at uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you want to flip back, I'll read it right now. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then down in chapter 5, verse 24, we'll look at this uh, next week, I believe. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But on the other hand, the flesh is very much still alive. Take a look at verse 16 of chapter 5, which we will hit next week. Paul says there, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Dead things don't desire anything. The flesh is still very much alive. We live in this age of the already, not yet. On the the one hand, we are new creation in Christ. The, The flesh, in a sense, has been crucified because we were crucified with Christ in a way that's wonderful. And yet... As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, so vividly concerning his own experience, there is this war that wages within us between the spirit and the flesh. Therefore, Paul says, we must not give the flesh any opportunity. Take a look at verse 13 again. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now that word that's translated opportunity there is most often used in a military context and kind of broader Greek, uh, broader Greek world. Uh, military context for a place from which an offensive is launched. We might think of the word beachhead. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that if you abuse your freedom to indulge your sinful nature, you are exposing yourself to attack. You are giving sin a beachhead in your heart. I think of the Allied effort to gain a beachhead on D-Day. Three American units, two British, one Canadian, fought one of the bloodiest battles of all of World War II, a great personal sacrifice in order to secure Omaha Beach. They needed a beachhead in order to ultimately make their way to Berlin. But what if the Germans had never fired a shot? What if the Germans had tea and coffee waiting for them? What if they had an updated map? in order to get them to Berlin. That's what we're doing when we indulge our sin nature. We're, we're rolling out the welcome mat for the flesh. We're giving sin a beachhead in our heart. But Paul is talking about, again, a horizontal dimension to all this. It's not just what's happening within us. It's the impact of sin, our sin nature, on our relationships with other people. 
How do we give the flesh a beachhead in our relationships? Well, if you've got your Bible open, I hope you do, flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at this very familiar chapter and a portion in it in which Paul talks about the way of love. What does he say? Take a look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Therefore, whenever we're impatient and unkind with one another, we're giving sin a beachhead in our heart that can lead to the destruction of our relationships with one another. He goes on, love does not envy or boast. So when we envy what others have or when we boast in what we have, we're giving sin a beachhead. He goes on and says, um, lost it, here we go. Wow. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So you can think about whenever we are that way, irritable, irritable, resentful, self-serving, rude, inconsiderate, all these things that we can be in our sin, we're giving sin a beachhead for the destruction of our relationships with one another. We fall so short of what God has for us in our life together when we do these things that seem so not that big of a deal, so innocuous, no one knows how we're thinking about that person, and yet we're giving sin a beachhead that can lead to the destruction of our relationships with one another. And we, we could expand this out to plenty of other passages in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Whenever we allow grievances to linger in our heart with other people, in our relationships with someone else, we are creating an, a beachhead. We're giving the sinful flesh an opportunity. You know, James says in James 4.11, don't let any, um, don't speak evil of anyone ever, right? Don't speak evil of one another. So whenever we speak negatively about others, we're giving sin a beachhead in our relationships that could lead, in our hearts, that could lead to the destruction of our relationships with one another. You get, you get the idea. So what are we free from? I love how John Stott put it. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Do not use your freedom to give sin a beachhead. But then secondly, let's move on. What are we freed for? And paradoxically, what Paul tells us in this passage is we're actually freed for fulfilling the law. Take a look with me at the end of verse 13 and then verse 14. Paul says in verse 13, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now Paul's pulling there from the Old Testament, he's pulling from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Jesus did the same thing, you'll remember when he was asked what's the greatest of the commands, commandments, Jesus said this in Matthew 22 37 to 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So then, you know, is Paul talking out of both sides of his mouth here? Is he saying, on the one hand, legalism is dangerous, you know, be careful about using the law as a way to be right with God, but then now he's saying, but, but go ahead and follow the law. Is that what he's doing? Remember what Paul said back in Galatians chapter 3. The law has no power to save us. That's the point he's driving. Not that the law is bad. The law is from God, but it has no power 
to save us. It can only point out to us our desperate need for grace. It drives us to Christ if the law is being used properly. And then once you become a Christian, the law has a new role in your life. It becomes a guide to the life that pleases God. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said this, What is God's law now? It is not above a Christian. It is under a Christian. Some men hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians and say, If you sin, you will be punished with it. It is not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. We are not under the law, but under grace, as Paul says. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. The law is good and excellent if it keep its place. So we are given the moral law by God as a way in which we can live Our love for him and our love for other people give expression to that work that God is doing in us to free us to love as we look to his good moral law. But don't miss what Paul's doing here in, in this horizontal dimension. In talking about the fulfilling of the law in the horizontal sense of love for one another, he is bringing back the link that we talked about a number of months ago between gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Gospel doctrine, again, let me remind you, is the message of divine grace for undeserving sinners, and gospel culture is the shared experience of divine grace by undeserving sinners. And wherever gospel doctrine is being preached and appropriated, it's not just a matter of the words being thrown out there, but that the Spirit of God, together with our willing hearts, is receiving this with faith in repentance for all the ways in which we fall short, that that gospel doctrine might be appropriated in our hearts. Where that is happening, gospel culture forms. And that's what Paul's talking about here. If the gospel doctrine, Paul says, that I've proclaimed to you when I was with you and reminding you of now through this letter is being appropriated, it will lead to what he describes here as sacrificial love for one another. In fact, he goes even stronger. He speaks even more strongly. He doesn't just say love that serves. He literally uses the word for slave, doulos. He says literally this, Become slaves of one another through love. That's what gospel culture looks like. When gospel doctrine has been appropriated, when the truth of the gospel of of God demonstrating his love for us in this, his son laying down his life for us at the cross, when that truth is appropriated, taken in, it leads to a change in which we view one another, to the point where we're even willing to say, I will, as it were, enslave myself to you out of love. Now, why is, why is this important? It's, it's good to remind ourselves every now and then that this isn't just about us. This, this deep experience of gospel culture that God invites us into as a church isn't just for our enjoyment. It is for our evangelism as well. It's for the sake of the world that we love one another. Our expression of community leaves an impression on the world. 
Jesus in John 13, 35 said this, by all people, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The whole world is given permission to judge the genuineness of our faith by how well we love one another. Jesus prays that we will love one another, that the world might believe who he is. That's John 17. The whole world, therefore, is given permission to judge the truthfulness of the incarnation based on how well we love one another. Christine Pohl, in her book, Living in the Community, says this, the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. This gospel culture flowing from gospel doctrine. It isn't just for us. It's for the joy of the nations. We're freed from the power of sin. We're freed for a life of fulfilling the law of love, and we're freed by the love of God for us. Now, let me give you a a thought experiment real quick. Imagine three kinds of people. A blind person who's born to be an artist. A deaf person who's born to be a musician. A person unable to walk, born to run marathons. In each case, doing what they were born to do would bring them great joy and would be a great blessing to the people around them. Now imagine that they're healed. How tragic would it be if they had no desire to to do what they were born to do, to do the very thing that would bring them such joy and be such a blessing to those around them? Listen, that's, that's who we are. Sin has blinded us. Sin has rendered us deaf. Sin has rendered us lame. And God, through the gospel, heals us. We were created to live a life of love for God and love for one another. The fact that that feels weird is itself an indication of the impact of sin on your heart. But the the life that will bring us the greatest joy is a life of loving service to God and loving service to other people. That is also the kind of life that will give others around us the greatest blessing and joy. That's what we were born for. Our sin has hindered our ability to do that. And God's grace frees us to do it once more. To do the very thing that we were created to do. To be the kind of people that we are created to God, by God to be in community, in our relationships with one another. What will enable us to love like that? Not willpower. Not a new law. Not buckling down and trying hard, not, you know, the sixth sola, sola bootstrapper, right? Not any of that. Only the love of God. John says this in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Romans 5.8, Paul says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, says to them, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He is not talking about himself in the third person. He's not saying, I'm I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting me after having called you in the grace of Christ Jesus. He's talking about God. 
God had called them in the grace of Christ Jesus to be beneficiaries of the love that was shed by God on the cross, the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross as an expression of the love of God for them. God had called them to receive for themselves the benefit of that sacrifice, that they might take advantage of Christ's payment for them, rest in what Jesus had accomplished for them, and then live a life responsively of love for God and love for others. They had been called to that. They were turning away from it. And the only way in which we will live that life is by looking again and again and again at the one who laid down his life for us. No one was more free than Jesus. No one. And yet Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Our life, our days, our hours must be filled with greater and greater intentional uh, seizing of moments to look to Jesus. Yeah, if I want to, <laughs> if, if I can encourage you to read one, I do this all the time. Just read this one book, and like, you know, by the, like six months, I've given you six books to read. Let me just throw this one out there. If you're looking for something to read between now and Easter, you could do far worse than pick up a copy of John Owen's The Glory of Christ. Let me encourage you to pick up the the version, the Puritan paperback version, modern language, you know, abridged, made easy to read. Trust me. But, but grab that. And think about the, how crucial it is that our lives are truly Christocentric, centered on Christ, and not just in the, the glory of what he's done in the past, or the, or the glory of who he's been for all eternity, but the glory that is yet to be revealed upon his return. It won't be doubling down to obey a law that leads us to love God and love others. It is gazing ever more intently on the love of Jesus Christ and his bloodshed for us. We are freed from the power of sin. I know it doesn't feel that way at times. But the power of sin has been broken through the cross of Jesus Christ. You are freed for a life of love. It's the life that will bring you the greatest joy. And you are freed by the love of God for you in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to take to heart this great and glorious gospel truth that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that you, Lord God, at the cross demonstrated your love for us. That, that your Spirit, oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that a big part of what you're doing in, in pointing us to, to Jesus is working in our hearts, that we might better grasp the height and the depth, the, the length and the breadth of, of the love of Christ for us. Help us to grow in all these things, we pray, O oh God, that we might truly live lives of love for you and loving service for others, and in so doing, find our greatest joy and be the greatest possible blessing to those around us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.